Why is a math book so unhappy? Why? Because it's full of problems. <laughs> that makes sense why I never liked math. Did you know I almost didn't graduate college because I put off taking my math credit until the last possible second? You know, for some reason that doesn't surprise me. Thanks for that. But is this our new thing? Dad jokes? I'm never opposed to a good dad joke and kind of not opposed to making this our thing. Uh, Sainsies! Who doesn't appreciate a good dad joke? I'm Sage Miller. And I'm Sean Higgins. This week on State Street, we're talking all about education. A bill that passed both chambers of the legislature and was signed by Governor Spencer Cox tied a public school teacher raise to what's called the Utah Fits All Scholarship Program. The program essentially takes state money to help parents pay for their children to access alternative education. That's like private schools or homeschooling or even some hybrid options. Depending on who you ask, that scholarship fund is another word for a voucher program. But lawmakers who support the bill would push back on that. What's in store for the future of Utah's scholarship program? Is it just a voucher program with a fresh coat of paint? We'll hear from KUER education reporter Martha Harris, who breaks it all down for us. You're listening to State Street. To be clear, Utah does have some existing voucher programs. They're generally smaller and used for students with special needs. But this isn't the first time Utah has flirted with a larger voucher program. Lawmakers actually passed one back in 2007. It was later put on the ballot that fall for voters to weigh in on. And as it turns out, Utah voters were not stoked on the idea. Tonight, with the eyes of the nation upon us, Utah has rejected this flawed voucher and it failed. It was then revived 15 years later in 2022, and it failed again. Thanks in no small part to a veto threat from Governor Cox, who said Utah teachers needed a pay raise first. With the price of housing, with inflation happening right now, I don't want to live in a state where teachers can't buy a home. When teachers are making $60,000 a year to start, I will fully support vouchers. But we have a long way to go before we get there. So Representative Candace Perucci got to work. She says she tried to craft a bill that balanced school choice while giving public school teachers that much-needed raise. Thus, the Funding for Teacher Salaries and Optional Education Opportunities Bill, or HB 215, was born. It's projected to serve roughly 5,000 students. And what they want to spend on this program is barely a sliver of the overall education budget. It would cost $42.5 million. That's out of a $7.7 billion proposed public education budget. And while Utah teachers might be happy about getting a raise, some are a little unhappy about how they got it. The majority Republican Utah school board spoke out against it. So did the largest teachers union in the state. Our stellar education reporter Martha Harris takes a closer look at Utah's voucher program. Other states have similar programs, but they've shown mixed results. It took less than two weeks for this controversial bill to become law. It's called the Utah Fits All Scholarship. You might have heard this program described as vouchers or an education savings or spending account. Republican Representative Candace Perucci was the bill sponsor. She says vouchers are only for private school tuition and that Utah's new law is not a voucher program. And let me clarify why. It would be like going to the restaurant and ordering a steak and getting a cheeseburger. The difference is it's an educational spending account. You can do so much more. For example, this money can be used for homeschool students on textbooks, computers, and field trips. 
but some experts say that's splitting hairs. Yeah, it's a voucher. <laughs> this one's pretty simple. That's that's just playing playing games with words. That's Douglas Harris, an economics professor at Tulane University and director of the National Center for Research on Education Access and Choice. He says Utah's program has no savings element and that some people are calling it a savings or spending account for political reasons. The term voucher doesn't pull very well. People know what that, what that means. Savings accounts sound better. Whether you call them vouchers or school choice, Harris says data is murky because you're dealing with private schools and because of how these programs are designed. But from what is known, he says students using these programs in other states are not doing better academically than their peers in public school. The results have been really bad. Uh, you know, strong negative effects across uh, uh, many different states now on, on student achievement scores. Indiana is one example of what a statewide voucher program looks like. It's been around for over a decade. Joseph Waddington is a professor at the University of Kentucky and studies education policy. He looked at Indiana students who transferred to a private school with a voucher. He says compared to their peers in public school, they've fallen behind in some areas. And in math, that drop persisted over time. They did rebound uh, in English language arts. So after three or four years, there was there was no difference between the voucher kids and their public peers, but they were still behind in math. Indiana's program started off small. The first year, fewer than 4,000 students got money. Most were from lower-income families. This is similar to Utah's plan. It'll have about 5,000 students, and those from lower-income families will be prioritized. But Indiana's program quickly grew, and as it grew, the eligibility expanded. More kids that are that are squarely in the middle-income ranges, middle-income households, uh, have participated. So that's been one thing that's changed. Now, Waddington says a majority of the program participants have never spent any time in public school. It's really served as more of a way to subsidize their private school education all along. So the idea that parents are using vouchers to take their kids out of public school isn't what's happening in Indiana. And it's something critics of Utah's new program are concerned about. Candace Perucci says data from states like Indiana is not relevant to Utah. So I would push back on that. I think it's important that we're comparing apples to apples. Perucci says Utah's bill was modeled after West Virginia, Florida, and Arizona. So if you want to get an idea of what's going to happen with Utah's program, you can't just look at any state. Waddington says yes, there are differences in how states implement these types of programs. But overall, they're more similar than different. Harris, the professor at Tulane, says quality academic achievement data in West Virginia, Florida, and Arizona is tough to come by. It's harder to study it in Florida because the students aren't taking the same test as in the traditional public schools. A lack of accountability was something that stuck out to Waddington as he was looking through Utah's new law. Outside of the financial tracking, there's doesn't appear to be anything else in place to really get a grasp of, is this working? Utah Democrats repeatedly raised concerns about accountability measures, but all of their attempts to change the bill failed. As it stands, Voucher students can either submit a portfolio showing what they've learned each year, or they can take an assessment. Perucci feels good about the measures in place. So I think the idea that we're comparing the student against themselves rather than other students is important. We don't know what that kid's unique learning abilities might be and what improvement looks like for them. Waddington says the portfolio and assessment are more useful for internal review. He doesn't think it'll do a good job of providing accountability to taxpayers. That's a little scary because you don't know what's happening to 
to your money. He thinks it's more valuable to have assessments that compare these students to their public school peers. The Utah State Board of Education still has to find a program manager to oversee the scholarship. Parents will be able to apply for the money starting in March of 2024. Martha will join us again right after a quick break. You're listening to State Street. Support for State Street comes from the Hinckley Report podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about the biggest political headlines in the Beehive State. Find new episodes of PBS Utah's The Hinckley Report every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to State Street. I'm Sage Miller. And I'm Sean Higgins. So we just heard Martha's reporting on Utah's new school choice program. It's a bit more complicated than some people make it out to be. Specifically, the fact that other states that have tried voucher programs don't always come away with clear-cut data on what's happening and whether it's effective. I sat down with Martha for a debrief of their story. We also dive deeper into this topic and other education-related bills making their way through the legislature. All right, Martha, give us a little bit of background on the whole school choice movement. Is this a recent phenomenon or is this argument go back decades? Yeah. So the idea of school choice is not new. It has been around for decades, but it's gotten a lot of steam over the last several years. Uh, And when we say school choice, that's pretty broad. It can refer to a number of things, including like public charter schools or online school. Uh, But if we're looking specifically at, you know, voucher programs, The longest running voucher program in the U.S. has been around since the 90s, so we've had that for a little while. Uh, Locally here in Utah, we've been talking about vouchers for decades. You know, in 2007, the Utah legislature voted to pass a voucher program, but then that got overturned. But yeah, as I said, it's gotten more steam in the last several years. You know, when Donald Trump got elected as president, uh, he picked uh, Betsy DeVos to lead the education department. And she's been a really outspoken proponent of school choice and specifically vouchers. And then another thing that kind of fueled the voucher movement was uh, COVID. Some parents didn't like the way their schools were handling the pandemic. They wanted their kid to be in the classroom, not learning online. They didn't want their kid to wear a mask. And then just other battles, you know, over curriculum and things like that have kind of fueled this movement towards parents saying, we want more choice over how and where our child gets educated. And for people like me who do not have kids yet, What actually is a voucher and how does it even work? The very basic idea is just giving parents, you know, individual families, taxpayer money to spend on educational expenses that they get to choose. So it's basically telling parents, you know, here's this public money that we would have spent for your kid in public school. But if you don't want your kid to go to public school or your kid doesn't want to go to public school, they want to go to a private school or be homeschooled, then we'll give you some or all of this money and then you can choose um, how to spend it. And what that looks like in practice, if it's just tuition or other fees, it depends on the state. But here in Utah, what it's going to look like is parents are going to be able to apply for $8,000. That's being called the Utah Fits All Scholarship, and it will start in 2024. If they're selected to get the money, then they can spend it on uh, – there's a list of approved educational expenses that they can spend it on. What it's actually going to look like is kind of more of the specifics will TBD. We will see. So effectively, the voucher is the money. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not like um, the state is handing out like uh, coupons that say redeem for one private school education. Yeah, it's, it's like a set amount of money that they can 
spend on yeah, tuition, homeschooling, textbooks, uh, even like field trips, uh, things like that. So it, it's it's the money. Last year, we saw a, a similar school choice bill fail in the House. So what changed in a year? Well, one thing that was different about this bill this year was that the bill didn't just create a new school voucher program. It also gave teachers a raise. And last year, Governor Spencer Cox said, you know, if this voucher bill gets to my desk, I'm going to veto it because he said, you know, our schools and teachers are uh, underfunded. And so I don't want to be giving money to private school that could go to these public schools when we're already not giving public schools enough money. Uh, So I think the fact that it was tied to a teacher raise really helped it a lot. And then just it got... Um, a lot of support from legislative leaders. Mm-hmm. There was a lot said by uh, the people who are arguing against this, that the the voucher or the school choice voucher, what have you, and the teacher raise were separate issues and should be debated separately. In your conversations with people, are they related at all? What uh, Representative Perucci was saying and kind of advocates for this bill were saying, you know, these two issues, they deal with education funding. Perucci repeatedly said, you know, these are the two most important parts of education, the kids and then also our teachers. And so that was her argument for putting these two things together. But then people, again, like you said, who were did not like this idea of having the teacher raise combined with vouchers. I talked with some public education teachers who felt like this was, you know, disingenuous. They felt like they were disrespected by this happening of kind of like, you're only going to give us a raise if you can create this voucher program that they thought might hurt the state. How will we know if this program is working in Utah? That's a good question. And I guess it depends on who you ask and what you define as working. If it's just, are people using this program? Uh, Then it's just, you know, data about how many kids are getting scholarships, you know, how many kids are on the wait list, like what's the demand for this? But if the question is, is this working to help improve academic achievement in Utah for kids that are using this? That's a different question. Yeah, I don't know how we'll get the data to answer that or where that will come from. So that's another thing that we will see if we'll get that data once this program is implemented. So what about some other education-related bills? What can we expect through the rest of the session? So one topic that has already been uh, talked about is school safety, just with the uh, increasing number of school shootings and mass shootings across the country, discussions about, okay, how are we going to deal with this in Utah? How are we going to protect students? What's the best way? Uh, Talks about mandatory active threat drills, also called lockdown or active shooter drills. So that's one topic. And then there's also been discussions about mental health. How do we best support students? There's also been talk, especially from advocates, about giving more funding for full-day kindergarten so it can be accessible statewide. Um, And then I'm also expecting there'll probably be some conversations about, you know, curriculum transparency in school. But I was not expecting the uh, school voucher teacher pay raise bill to go through the legislature so quickly. So I will not be placing any bets on what happens in the rest of the session. Never a dull moment with the Utah legislature. Martha, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was KUER education reporter Martha Harris. You can check out their story on the Utah Fits All program and all of their great reporting at KUER.org. Okay, the biggest piece of education legislation this session is covered. What else happened this week? Well, election bills are reemerging. One specifically would allow candidates to skip a primary election if they get 70% of delegate votes at their party's convention. 
This has been a point of contention between the Utah Republican Party and the state for quite a few years since the signature gathering law was first passed in 2014. That's where people can get on the ballot by, you guessed it, gathering enough signatures. This bill would knock out other candidates if someone reaches that 70 percent threshold, even those who gathered signatures to get on the ballot. To put that into context, Senator Mitt Romney got on the ballot in 2018 through signature gathering. Representative John Curtis has also gone the signature gathering route. In theory, this could knock out more moderate candidates in favor of party favorites who might have more extreme views. That bill is currently in the House Rules Committee. The bipartisan Clean Air Caucus announced a slew of air quality-related bills and budget requests. Democrat Andrew Stoddard had an ambitious bill to cut emissions along the Wasatch Front by 50 percent by 2030. Unsurprisingly, it has been scaled back a bit. He said last week that he's pivoted its focus to bromine emissions from industrial sources. A recent study by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration found that one company, U.S. Magnesium, could be responsible for up to 25 percent of the emissions that contribute to winter smog along the Wasatch Front also known as the brown cloud. But free public transit for a year is also back on the table. Republican Senator Todd Weiler is sponsoring the governor's $25 million budget request. Although GOP leaders in the House did tell us there wasn't much support for that idea, at least right now. Governor Cox would be oh so happy if the pilot program grew some wheels. With that, we are more than halfway done with the 2023 general session. It has seriously flown by. Oh, absolutely. So fast, so quick. But that does it for this episode of State Street. I'm Sage Miller. And I'm Sean Higgins. The show's executive producer is Caroline Ballard. Editing and production support comes from David Childs and KUER News Director Elaine Clark. Our digital team includes Renee Bright, Raquel Davis, Jim Hill, and Eleanor Gomberg. Eleanor puts the final touches on our weekly newsletter, which you should totally sign up for, by the way. And she was also the mastermind behind our super successful trivia night. Mark my words, Trivia Night will become an annual pre-legislative session tradition. As it should be! State Street is a production of KUER. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find State Street. See you next week. Bro. Bro mean a Bro mean, dude. <laughs> From KUER.